We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. The Browns signed Kareem Hunt, 2018's most efficient quarterback and wide receiver combos in the Alliance of American Football League kicked off this weekend. We're talking all that and more on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz. This is Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by the FFPC. I'm joined by Matthew Friedman, editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. Matt, you are back from Texas. We're now a week removed from the Super Bowl, but let's just start off there. What did you think? Uh, I loved it. Um, I mean, I maybe loved it in part because it was a really good prop betting um, situation for me, but uh, I actually enjoyed the game. You know, um, it was a league marked with a lot of offense, one of the you know most uh, offensively explosive seasons in NFL history, um, but you had a game that was basically like a chess match. Uh, with two really great defensive minds going at each other. And uh, so I, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I mean, nothing more to say, really. Just, I, I mean, I, I think it was a game that lots of people found boring, but uh, I I found it really exciting just kind of to see, like, how far into the game they could go without scoring points. <laughs> I, know, I know that's really no one's idea of uh, excitement, but uh, and it's really not even mine either. But I don't know why. For a Super Bowl, it just it, it felt kind of right. Well, you know, I actually went back and I watched it um, after the fact. So having known the result, I I, I can see how like, uh, you know, maybe 
if I was having a different lens of viewing of just being like, oh my God, like, can we get in the end zone? You know, not being like a struggling fan in that standpoint, it would have been more interesting. But yeah, I mean, I definitely lived up to the hype of the um, interesting matchups that you would see between, you know, what the offensive line could do against their defensive line. And things played out a little bit differently than I was expecting. But uh, my prop bets went well, uh, as well as yours. So that's always good to hear. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the one thing is part of what made the the game actually so enjoyable to me is that the uh, the Zerline MVP bet at plus 1200 was still alive for, <laughs> you know, like the first three and a half quarters. So part of me was thinking, like, could this really happen? Like, I was thinking we could maybe get something like a nine to six game with Zerline getting three field goals and like a couple of them 50 pointer. I mean, a 50 yarder. So I was like, this this actually might happen. It obviously didn't happen. And because Zerline missed the field goal at the very end, uh, ironically, none of the Rams field goal or Zerline <laughs> props actually hit for me. Yep. <laughs> but, yep. but even even so, it was, it was a, like a great prop betting uh, week for me. And also just like a really fun Super Bowl to watch. I mean, I thought, but anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, what a roller coaster ride that must have been for you. But at this point, the uh, the Super Bowl is old news. So let's talk about huge news, in my opinion, at least, that came out today. The Browns sign Kareem Hunt before yeah. it's even clear what the suspension is. What did you make of this? Um, it's not surprising considering that uh, John Dorsey was the guy who drafted him in Kansas City uh, and that Dorsey has, you know, seemingly – been fine uh, for a chunk of his career of taking bets basically on um, players who have off the field uh, issues. Um, but, you know, th- they say that they did their own investigation. Who knows how thorough it actually was. But um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're taking a chance on a guy who has a lot of talent. Um, and it's weird because it's not as if they really even, um, I don't think they really even need him, but I think he probably is well-rounded in a way that, uh, Chubb isn't. Um, I mean, Chubb, I think, surprised people with his pass catching ability, but he's still not um, the receiving, you know, all around three down threat that Kareem Hunt is. Uh, and Hunt is also balanced in a way that Duke Johnson isn't. Like, Johnson is one of the best receiving backs in the league, but they clearly didn't use him the way that he had been used previously, and he's not as good of a runner. Um, so they're obviously getting a great player. Um, I don't think they have much to lose by doing it because if things don't work out, they can cut him. It's a one-year deal, um, but he will be a restricted free agent after, so they they do have some control on his contract. Um, so it's like a very you know it's a very smart like team friendly move uh, for a team that is on their eyes, kind of setting aside all of the uh, off-field issues. Yeah, you know, actually, um, in the Slack chat, Hassan. Uh, basically said something to the effect of, you know, I'm just speaking out loud here, but I think this has potential to be a net win for Cleveland if they play their cards right. And a lot of this goes with what you said, but they're looking to, you know, maybe maximize their value. They're paying Hunt $1 million, which for a team with the cap that they have, you know, they have an ocean of cap. That's not a big deal. Restricted free agent after the season. So in the event, if he's banned for this season, they still control his rights. And then teams like the Eagles and the Bears have mentioned they're looking for upgrades in the running game and explicitly stated that he was on their radar. Um, so it gives them some room to maneuver. So, I mean, I think that you kind of hit the nail on the head there when uh, we think about it in the context that Hassan framed that there's really not a whole lot for them to lose if they don't care about the PR side of things. Mm-hmm. And then if 
things work in a way that they can deal Hunt, or even if you know Hunt gets back into the fold for them and they like him more than Chubb, Chubb's an awesome back too that other teams might be interested in. So, I mean, I think when you think about this one a little more than maybe just having that gut reaction of it feeling kind of redundant, especially with what we saw the Browns do last season signing Carlos Hyde, then drafting Nick Chubb, I think that this this one makes more sense. Yeah, it's it's totally a different move uh, in comparison to Carlos Hyde. Yeah. Um, the one thing is, like I would say, this I think it destroys Chubb's uh, redraft value. You know, he was a a first second rounder uh, in you know early best ball leagues. Um, I think this really destroys his value. Uh, I don't think that Hunt is going to be suspended for the entire year. And uh, whenever Hunt is out there, I, I mean, it's not as if we can pencil him in to be the lead back, but like he is going to get some work. Um, and so even if it's just as kind of like a change of pace, he's out there on passing downs and he's playing every third series, like eventually he will chip away at uh, at Chubb's role in the offense. So I don't think this is enough where you can really bump Hunt up from where he probably is being drafted or where he should be ranked. But it's enough really to hurt uh, Chubb's potential to uh, to score a lot of touchdowns and get yards. For sure. That's exactly what I was going to say. Um, with a player like Chubb, who I think you're looking at him as a potential maybe fringe RB1 type of player, when you don't have a tremendous amount of reception potential, especially in PPR leagues, you really depend so much on those touchdowns. And a player like Hunt... I can see a lot of utility for the Browns putting him in in goal line situations, at least for one of the three or four plays they're going to have. And you take away some of those touchdowns and it really uh, kind of corrodes the value that Chubb would have. So it's unfortunate for him that, again, we're going to have a season where he has to compete with or at least he may have to compete with another back that's uh, pretty talented. In this case, one that's much more talented than Hyde, in, in my opinion. Uh, and then obviously you have Duke Johnson there as well, who the team committed to pretty significantly last year. Uh, and you have to imagine is still going to get involved. So it's going to be really interesting to see where things shake out with his ADP as we move into the summer. Yeah. The one last thing I would say is that from a dynasty perspective, I think this might give people like one last chance to get Chubb somewhat discounted. Um, because there might be, there might be, uh, like, uh, dynasty managers out there who are fine with the idea of maybe trying to trade him high, uh, or like relatively high, thinking that Kareem Hunt really might take a significant part of the workload there. Like that might be the case for like this year or maybe two years, but I like bullish. I'm still very long-term bullish on uh, on Chubb and what he could do with that team. Yeah, me too. So I, I'm in definite support of that. It actually, uh, you know, that's one of the things I was thinking today as I read the news was this might be my chance to get Chubb because I missed on him, uh, you know, given the circumstances of my dynasty leagues. But this is a good window. And like you, I do think that he has one of the best outlooks of the young running backs in the league. So I would... I would recommend going after him. A uh, quick reminder here that you can still get a 30% listener-only discount to a Rotoviz subscription through the podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Uh, we have some really exciting things going on on the site. 
Last week, we uh, made an announcement of some of our lead writers, also some featured writers. Today, uh, we announced that Curtis Patrick is going to be coming in, who you might know from uh, Pro Football Focus or Dynasty Command Center, to kind of head up our social media and marketing efforts, but also to really give us a focus on Dynasty content. Uh, Travis May is going to be contributing for us in Dynasty, and then also Mike Beers is going to be contributing some of his best ball apps which is awesome because we're already into best ball season. Um, and Sean, uh, Sean Siegel, obviously, when he tried out some of these apps that Beers had, he was just hooked immediately. Uh, and I think that this works out perfectly because I also want to remind you the FFPC, the home of season long high stakes fantasy football, they're already in the swing of things. Uh, if you are a best ball player, a diehard who's ready to draft now, you need to check out the FFPC. PC best ball leagues. They're already open for the 2019 season with drafts forming daily starting at just $35. Uh, if you're a fan of Dynasty, over the last few years, the FFPC has become the go-to destination for serious Dynasty players. They now have almost 300 active Dynasty leagues starting at $77. They even have a $5,000 entry Dynasty league, uh, which clearly is for the high rollers like Friedman. And the best part is not a single Dynasty league has folded in nine years, which is really impressive. Uh, limited orphan teams are available for purchase right now, and brand new startup Dynasty leagues will be opening shortly. So don't don't miss out on the FFPC experience. Go to myffpc.com and register now. That's myffpc.com, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. Uh, Matt, the next thing I want to talk about is really efficient quarterback and wide receiver combos. And we're going to be doing this through the lens of adjusted yards per attempt, which the formula that we use to calculate AYA on the site is yards plus touchdowns times 20 minus interceptions times 45 divided by attempts. Um, could you give us maybe like a quick breakdown of, I'm trying to think of how to kind of describe like the importance of, of looking at AYA versus maybe just looking at, you know, your typical taking, um, you know, the yards that a receiver would have and then just dividing that by the attempts. Yeah, it's interesting. I was actually kind of thinking about uh, like a, a conversation about the the utility of this metric. So um, yeah. on, on the one hand, uh, if you're looking at this from a a quarterback perspective, uh, and you're, you're looking at college players. Um, there is a pretty good correlation between a guy's efficiency through this adjusted yards per attempt metric, uh, and the way that he projects to the NFL. Um, so it, I mean, it's not like a, a perfect, obviously like one for one correlation, but the guys who are highly efficient at throwing the ball in college, uh, and who are actually seen as being worthwhile, um, like worthwhile prospects by the NFL. So like not guys who play in a kind of like quote unquote gimmicky offense that the NFL just totally ignores. Although there might be some value in those guys that just isn't realized because the NFL doesn't pay attention to them. But, but the guys who have uh really great passing efficiency who are valued as prospects, guys who go in the first or second round, those guys tend to have NFL success. So uh, from the quarterback's perspective, adjusted yards per attempt is something that we should very much pay attention to. Um, on the other hand, kind of looking at this from the receiver perspective, 
Uh, and, and Dave, this is one area where I would like to get your thoughts on this. Yep. Um, I don't know if this, uh, like I'm, I'm uncertain about how useful this is because I, I think it is useful, but I'm not sure the extent to which it's useful. Um, so for instance, let's look at someone like Mike Williams, right? Yep. Uh, who has a pretty inflated number that is very much driven by touchdown production. And given that touchdowns can be relatively fluky, um, like I don't know how representative that number is of like one, what his true capability is as a receiver, uh, and also of like the value that he adds. Um, because even, even if he is an above average touchdown scorer, I don't know if that means as much as someone who is an, an above average yardage accumulator, because I, I think like touchdowns, like if someone is good at accumulating yards, uh, or if a team is good in general at accumulating yards, eventually the ball will find its way into the end zone. You know what I mean? Either through yep. someone uh, catching the ball or through someone getting tackled near the goal line and then a running back just putting it in the end zone. So I, I'd kind of like to get your thoughts on this. Like, I think it means more if a guy, um, if he doesn't run the right routes and the quarterback routinely throws interceptions when he's targeting that guy. Like, I think that means a lot, but I don't know how much it means if a receiver accumulates a lot of touchdowns. So in this formula that you mentioned, uh, you multiply touchdowns by 20, you multiply interceptions by four and a half. I think interceptions are much more important, uh, than just like a little more than two times more than a touchdown. But I, I'd kind of like to get your thoughts on this. Yeah, so I actually um, was interested to hear your take on this because I, I will frame this up first. I think that I view or I consider AYA much more significantly when I'm looking at quarterbacks and considering, um, especially in the NFL, how good that quarterback uh, that quarterback may be or you know how efficient of a season he had uh, and using it to compare across quarterbacks. Um, because like you said at the wide receiver position, it's not quite as clear. Cause I do think that, um, you're going to have situations, especially like Mike Williams, who's is the perfect example. And actually this season of all receivers with more than 50 attempts, which I use as the cutoff for the players we'll talk about tonight. Uh, he led all players with a AYA of 12.41. Um, and I think that it's dangerous when you look at some of these numbers and try to draw conclusions on receivers because even playing with the same quarterback, numbers can shoot up and down and back up pretty significantly from year to year. So it's not as sticky as you might like to think. So I think that it's dangerous to view, especially if you're only looking at one season, to draw conclusions from it. So I like to, if I'm going to look at a team's I don't necessarily look at AYA for a receiver in isolation. I might pull up, if I'm interested in a player, that entire team, and then look from maybe 2015 to 2018 and see who Aaron Rodgers was most successful throwing to, and then kind of take another step and look into those years and see if there's anything I can tease out there. Uh, so like a really good example of this is Geronimo Allison. If you go back to his first season with the Packers now, one of the problems is you're dealing with a low volume of targets um, across all of his seasons, actually. Uh, he really 
like crushed it. I think he was over 11 yards in his first season. Then he went down to five and a half. And then last season, he was back up into the 11s. So it's really hard to draw conclusions from that info. And um, when you look at other players, you might see similar situations. So what I like to use it for to kind of bring this back full circle, again, is not so much the receiver, but just to gauge maybe the progression of a quarterback or to help learn more about how he might utilize his weapons and maybe what we can expect in the next season. It sounds like you're kind of in line with that. Yeah, I, I am. And, and, uh, so I, I started out by mentioning kind of looking at college, uh, adjusted yards per attempt and, and how that is, uh, useful for projecting how a guy might do in the NFL. But you're totally right. Just even if we stick with NFL, look at adjusted yards per attempt, uh, very often there's a correlation between how a guy does on that metric and really, uh, two things. One, how good he is, like kind of quote unquote in real life for that season. Uh, and then also like how he was as a fantasy producer. Um, so yeah, I mean, you, you look in normally the, the guys who are the best quarterbacks in the league, uh, in any given season are the guys who have the best adjusted yards per attempt. Uh, and you know, that kind of makes sense. The one area where there might be outliers, uh, is if a guy just doesn't have, uh, the volume that we normally see, or if he's just, uh, a really bad passer, but he has a lot of rushing production. Um, so he kind of, uh, compensates for his passing inefficiency, but in general, it is very, uh, indicative of how a guy has performed. Yeah. You know, the other interesting thing too, when we talk about a player like Williams is, if you have the type of player who a lot of their production comes from touchdowns on short throws and they're efficient in that regard, they're going to have fewer yards. So it is interesting though when you see somebody like Williams put up such a ridiculous AYA in this one season, um, it does speak to something that we always talk about is to the regression. So I think it shows that you cannot extrapolate what you may have seen from Williams this season to a higher total uh, if Tyrell Williams, for example is not re-signed. Uh, so this is another one of those things I might look at viewing it less predictive, but more descriptive for a season, but using that to better assess what we might expect in the coming season. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's accurate. Uh, I mean, the one thing that is notable is that Mike Williams was still actually like fairly decent from uh, just a raw yards per attempt perspective. Um you know, he caught 65% of his passes and on a yards per reception basis, he had 15.4 uh, yards per reception. Like that's pretty good. And when you look at that, just kind of yards per attempt and it ends up being like, a, that's a pretty good number. Like both Williams and so, yeah, both of the Williams is uh, Tyrell <laughs> and Mike. Um, they were better uh, from just like not even considering touchdowns, but they were just better from a yards per attempt perspective at, uh, you know, transitioning their or transforming their attempts, their targets into yards in comparison to someone like Keenan Allen. That doesn't mean that they're actually like better players because Keenan Allen just functions differently within that offense. Uh, and obviously he is targeted much more voluminously, but, um, you know, they are different types of players. Uh, and I think even if you take the touchdowns and the, the interception part of this equation out of it, um, they were pretty impressive this year. Yeah, no, I, I would, I would completely agree with that. Uh, and, and I think that some of it too, you know, obviously belongs to focusing on Philip Rivers, but yeah. 
I think obviously it's notable because it shows you, you know, when you have a player like them, what they can achieve alongside a quarterback like Rivers. Because if you go into uh, the AYA app on RotoViz and you you play around looking at the team, uh, what you're going to find with the Chargers is is that they normally have a number of receivers that are performing pretty well, or at least kind of over that baseline. So I kind of look at if a player is getting up into the eights, uh, you know, that's normally like. Uh, I would say in most seasons above average. So that's pretty strong. Uh, so moving on from the, um, from the chargers talking about a quarterback, that's not quite as good to give a sense to the listeners of what these numbers can look like. Josh Rosen, he has Christian Kirk post a 6.57. Larry Fitzgerald post six yards per attempt. David Johnson was third on the team uh, with 4.76 and throwing to Ricky Seals Jones 3.39. So I think what that demonstrates there is how important the quarterback can be in this equation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it is interesting. I think it, it works both ways because I think like Larry Fitzgerald is like, he's a Hall of Famer. He's probably still good. Um, he's just not as explosive. Uh, and right. so if you have an offense that isn't able to move the ball down the field, this number is inherently going to be smaller because you don't have a quarterback who's, who's throwing lots of touchdowns. And Christian Kirk, he has potential, but he's not, you know, like anyone's idea of a number one receiver yet. Um, so you just see these guys who have, uh, you know, lower numbers in general because they don't have that good of a quarterback throwing to them. And then the offense that they are in doesn't facilitate that they get those extra touchdowns that really boost the adjusted yards attempt uh, higher. Yeah, that's definitely a fair point and probably one that uh, we should have um, kind of brought into this earlier, but I'm, I'm glad that we did as we go through these because it also kind of highlights too, sometimes we want to use some metrics is kind of like a catch-all for everything, but this highlights how some of them you kind of need to get in and kind of put them in the context of the team and, and, and dig in a little deeper. Now, the second most efficient pairing of a quarterback and a wide receiver, pretty interestingly, was Tom Brady and Josh Gordon uh, on 68 um, passes, posting an 11.47 uh, Chris Hogan was next in line on New England with 10.32, Gronk at 9, Edelman at 8.22, which isn't really much of a surprise, and then James White at 6.63. Uh, but, you know, again, I think this is one of those things where people might want to look at it and just say, oh my gosh, like, look at what the team would ha- is missing when you take Gordon out of the equation. But, um, I, you know, we can't really say for certain that next season over a whole year, this number would have stayed that strong. Still, though, it is interesting to see uh, what the Patriots lost when Gordon went out, which is one of the things that uh, naturally led the team to kind of redefining itself down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, I thought Gordon was was pretty impressive considering that he came over in the middle of the season or not middle of the season, but, you know, without the benefit of training camp. Right. Um he was injured when he first came over with like the lingering hamstring issue. Um, it took a while. Remember Edelman was suspended for the first four games. So it took a while for them to kind of integrate all of those different offensive pieces, uh, with Edelman and with Gordon, uh, and with Gronk, you know, kind of going in and out of the lineup a little bit, not being his fully functional self. But Gordon in the 10 games he played with Edelman, like he was, Pretty decent. I mean, you know, paced for 1,100 receiving yards, five touchdowns. Um, and he maybe would have 
gotten a little bit better as the season would have progressed. And maybe, you know, he knows more of the offense. They game plan for him specifically against different types of opponents. But yeah, I mean, he, I think he did very well considering that, um, he was targeted just, uh, was it like 68 times, yep. seven, 71 times, something like that with the team. Like he was pretty impressive. Yeah, it, it was. Um, like you said, oh, and the other thing too, like through historically, Receivers have a, had a lot of trouble getting up to speed on New England's offense, yeah. even with training camp. Yeah. So come in when he did it was really impressive. Uh, so, you know, again, it's just unfortunate that, um, you know, he had to take an, another step o- away from the game. Uh, so that, uh, we've seen now two players, both with good quarterbacks that managed to eclipse that, uh, that 10 mark with Tom Brady having two receivers do it. So to give you a flavor of some of these other quarterbacks that you would expect to post high numbers, Andrew Luck and T.Y. Hilton were one of the more efficient wide receiver quarterback duos, putting up 10.46 yards per attempt uh behind him in Indy was Eric Ebron with an 8.36 uh probably makes sense to look at Drew Brees him and Michael Thomas another really efficient pair as we would expect at 10.55 Jared Goff before Cooper Cup went down for the season was at an 11.45 and this is notable because there's a number of different things that you can look at with the Rams of the drop off and I'm not sure if we talked about this on the show yet when Cup was out yeah um so, I mean, I think that's pretty telling, but also Cooks was at 10.47, and that does kind of speak to what you mentioned before, too, of how good offenses are going to have players putting up good AYA, because Woods is also at 9.19. Yeah, they were guys who were able to uh, to benefit from scoring touchdowns. But uh, yeah, how, how explosive uh, Cup's number is, especially considering that he's someone who played primarily in the slot, is really impressive. Uh, and so it speaks both to like his efficiency, um, it, just in terms of like catching the ball, uh, not letting a lot of targets hit the ground, uh, and then converting his receptions into yards and then yards into touchdowns. Like he was very efficient throughout that entire process. Uh, so yeah, the offense, uh, took a step back without him on the field. You know, um, they weren't able to replace, uh, his production with Josh Reynolds in the lineup. You know, they're just, they're two different players and it made the, it made the offense, uh, not like more one dimensional, but it just, it meant that Woods and Cooks had to play in the slot and they couldn't kind of filter in and out of that position, all three receivers as they had been doing previously. So it it just made the passing offense a little more stagnant. For sure. Uh, now an interesting one to look at is the Rams because we can look at the numbers that receivers put up with Mahomes. And how he fared, and then we'll go back and look at Alex Smith. So Tyree Kill was at 10.58, Sammy Watkins 10.53, and Travis Kelsey at 9.34. So those are very strong numbers. Uh, if we contrast that with Alex Smith, who I'll pull up his numbers here quickly, we'll look at 2017. You had, wow, Tyree Kill at 12.17, then a little bit of a drop off going down to Albert Wilson at 9.16. Of course, some of that is kind of his style of play. And then Travis Kelsey at 8.71. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting in that, uh, Tyree Kill's numbers with Alex Smith were so much better, but I think it's, it's twofold. One, um, Sammy Watkins being on the team, uh, with Patrick Mahomes kind of takes away from uh from what Tyreek Hill might be able to do. So uh his numbers are not quite as impressive. 
uh, both in terms of like targets down the field, but then also like secondly, in terms of the touchdowns that he would get. So whereas last year, Tyreek Hill uh, was uber efficient at turning targets into touchdowns, he wasn't quite as efficient this year. Uh, and he also had more targets. So uh, it makes sense that with more targets, his efficiency would dip a little bit. Um, but yeah, you, you can see the huge impact that Patrick Mahomes had when you look at the second receiver, Sammy Watkins versus Albert Wilson, uh, and then also uh, Travis Kelsey versus Travis Kelsey the year before. Um, so, uh, and then also, uh, we should maybe even take a look at like Chris Conley. Uh, I think it's possible that, um, or, you know, whoever was functioning as the third receiver yep. in the offense, uh, Chris Conley for the third receiver was pretty efficient at 7.48. If we look at the third receiver, uh, with Alex Smith and the, the chiefs in 2017, Demarcus Robinson was the third guy and he had 4.86. So yeah, I mean, a, a pretty marked, uh, difference there with Patrick Mahomes, who like it, it makes sense is the league MVP. And he ended up, I believe he led the league, uh, at least all quarterbacks who, you know, started like more than two or three games, uh, led the league, uh, with 9.6 adjusted yards per attempt. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Yeah, so... Naturally, very impressive there. Another young passer um, who managed to do pretty well was DeAndre Hopkins, of course, if, or excuse me, Deshaun Watson throwing to DeAndre Hopkins at 10.17 and adjusted yards per attempt. Only player on the team, though, that had more than the than the 50 receptions. Now, one thing we've looked at some of these quarterbacks that you would expect to see high numbers with, uh, but I find it pretty interesting if you look at Pittsburgh and Ben Roethlisberger you'd probably expect that you're going to get some pretty high numbers. But actually, in 2018, I think this is going to be another interesting one where we can look year over year. 2018, you have Vance McDonald leading the team at 8.96, Juju at 8.08, James Conner at 7.28, and Antonio Brown at 6.9. Make sense of this for me, Matt. Um, well, I mean, if you want me to, if you want me to trash Antonio Brown, that's where I can go with this. But no, I mean, so, so the thing is Roethlisberger, um, has always had issues like this where he's not super accurate. Um, and he throws kind of more interceptions than you want. So like he actually led the league with 16 interceptions this year. Um, but if you look at adjusted yards per attempt, uh, for, you know, like all of his receivers averaged, 
Uh, he's had seven and a half adjusted yards per attempt each of the past three seasons. So like what we saw, what we saw him do in 2018, like granted, it wasn't exactly the same just in terms of like the, the receivers that he was targeting, but like, and it's like total impact on the team. It was basically what he had been doing the two years before. It's just that, um, Antonio Brown was much less efficient. I, I guess we, we kind of need to think about the exact way to phrase this, but Roethlisberger wasn't as efficient on his passes to Antonio Brown as he had been in years uh, prior, but he was much more efficient in targeting almost everyone else on the team. So more efficient in targeting Vance McDonald, more efficient in targeting his running back. Uh, Juju actually took a, a step back last year, yeah, but that's did. kind of to be expected because he was just so uh, uber efficient as a rookie, but he was still like, you know, respectable last year. But uh, yeah, I mean, f- just from a, a team perspective, Roethlisberger did last year what he had done the two previous seasons. So it's not as if there's much of a story there with him. Um, and if you look at kind of uh, like more advanced, like uh, a, uh, kind of like efficiency numbers that have to do with accuracy. So not even like completion percentage, but just like accuracy rate. Like yep. he was basically whether he was passing short or he was passing long, he did last year something really similar to what he had done in 2017. So like for all of the talk of like, oh, Ben Roethlisberger is regressing, like 2000, if you look at 2016 to 2018, that's not as good as what he did in 2014 and 2015. But 2018 in comparison to 2016 and 2017, there's really not any regression there. Like he's just basically doing what he's doing. Yeah. That that's very interesting. Also, it uh, it's funny too to to look at that number with um Antonio Brown, which actually I need to remember to come back to. I can't believe I left this off the uh, off the sheet. Uh, we need to come back to Antonio Brown at some point. I mean that that um, is a number that I am very aware of because like that is what started me thinking of like, hey, is Antonio Brown falling off? Um, and, and the <laughs> fact that you know the fact that. Uh, Brown's adjusted yards per attempt number was declining and Roethlisberger's was staying the same is like the big thing that first really made me think like there's something wrong with this connection. And given that Roethlisberger's connection with the team as a whole hasn't declined, like maybe this is something that is more rooted directly with the connection with Brown. And that doesn't necessarily mean that Brown is like getting worse as a player, but it does mean that something was really off with their connection this year. Yeah. And then of course we have to bring up the odd situation with Brown and the Steelers there. I mean, it's such an hard thing to try to determine what might be going on there when you have Le'Veon Bell with the holdout. Now you have this Antonio Brown situation. Is it just these two personalities? Is it something with another personality in the team? Is it being a player for Tomlin? I don't know if you <laughs> have any know. thoughts on that. I mean, I don't know how we could even begin to try to decipher I, that. I mean, uh, I'm like pretty rooted in this like position now, whether I even kind of want to be in it or not of thinking like this is like what Brown is doing like not playing in the last game of the season, dyeing his facial hair, showing up at all of these like random events. <laughs> like this is what a wide receiver looks like when he's like going into full on diva mode, nearing mm-hmm. the end of his career and doesn't want to admit that his on field play has slipped. You wow. know, like no, I'm, I'm serious. Like, yeah, you, no, like no, you I saw you. similar things like this with other receivers. 
like other guys who at one point were like, you know, top three receivers in the league. And, and then like there's a season of like, they still have good raw numbers, but they're not nearly as good just like as players as they used to be. And then all of these other distractions off of the field start popping up. You know, like that is what this feels like to me. And like, I'm, I might be wrong. I might be very wrong. I'll just, I'll admit and say I might be wrong, but like, he looks like a guy who, uh, is starting to slip. Like all of the off field things. It's like, this is what someone does when they can't cope with the fact that they're not as good as they used to be. It's really fascinating because we have these figures that are so much in the public eye. We get to see their job performance and we get to see what really has become their identity in all of these different facets. It almost makes me wish that like there was a uh, podcast like done by a doctor of, well, I guess you would say like probably like, a, I don't know, go with a psychologist, a psychiatrist, somebody in that field that could just kind of focus on these players and give somewhat of like a professional opinion of what might be going on. Like it is fascinating. Yeah. Like a sports psychologist. Yeah. That, that is, that is what we need. I mean, the one thing is like, there's, there, there could have been a very different way that this had gone with Antonio Brown. Like, I mean, maybe it's different with Jerry Rice because he was able to extend his career so deep into his 30s. But, um, you know, even when uh, Terrell Owens started becoming like the number one receiver with the 49ers, it's not as if Rice was – I mean, it's different because Twitter didn't exist then, you know, but it's, it's not as if Rice was like making a big public stink about no longer being the number one guy or about having to share targets with someone else. You know, like Rice was always the consummate professional. Um, Brown could have, he could have done that. Like that could have been his legacy as someone who was awesome in Pittsburgh. And when another receiver came along who was, you know, just as good as he was and was maybe going to ascend as he was descending, he could have like gracefully become a really strong number two receiver and, you know, like a mentor to the guy. Like that could have been an outstanding legacy. Like instead, he's going to be remembered as someone who like threw a hissy fit and got kicked off of the only team that he had been with for years, you know, and like eventually fans will forgive him. But like he could have been like a god in Pittsburgh if he had handled this well. Instead, he's just going to be someone who I don't know, like the the team just wasn't able to solidify around. Yeah. And beyond that, too, to some extent, too, if if he is taking more of the position of being a lifelong stealer, staying with the team, doing the right things, maybe they're able to recruit, if you will, a couple more pieces because they do have a pretty good infrastructure there. It's a great organization. I mean, you know, they're, they've come close a couple of times and with Roethlisberger still there, maybe they could have made another run or two, uh, you know, yeah. a more serious run into the playoffs. I mean, and, and here's, um, here's one more smaller thing that, that yep. probably isn't really significant, but to fans, it matters. They never won a Super Bowl with Antonio Brown, you know, like they won For two, sure. they won two with Roethlisberger, but they never won with Antonio Brown. Like that is something that will, I mean, I don't know, like Larry Fitzgerald never won a Super Bowl and people still love him. But like at the same time, he he hasn't done what Antonio Brown has done. But like not winning a Super Bowl, it doesn't mean as much for a wide receiver, but that is still like something that will follow him. 
Absolutely. But I, I also think, too, that you have a situation where with a player like Fitzgerald that has always done the right things and yeah. kind of the way that they play, it almost adds to their lore, their legend that they kept playing and they kept being the player that they were despite not winning the championships, despite playing on teams that struggled. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And and like Fitz, like his one chance in the Super Bowl, like he had the game of his life. It's not like they lost the Super Bowl because he didn't perform. Yeah, that was actually... um. I kind of want to go back and watch that game. I seem to remember really enjoying watching that pl- that one play out. Yeah, it was a, it was a great game. Um, the the uh, Cardinals scored near the end of the game on like Fitzgerald's great like sixty seventy yard touchdown to split the defense. Uh, and then with around two minutes left, the Steelers came back, and that was the like Santonio Holmes uh, catch in the corner of the end zone on the tip of his toes in triple coverage, just like amazing, you know. Uh, that could yeah. have, like Antonio Brown could have had a moment like that if things had broken right. Yeah. Wow. Actually, so I'm looking at the box score that now. So the final was 27, 23. The Cardinals scored 16 points in the fourth. They'd only scored seven prior to that. And, uh, looks like the Steelers heading into the fourth were at 20. Wow. So that was yeah. quite a swing. That there, was yeah. the, uh, James Harrison. That was the a hundred yard oh my gosh, interception yeah. return, uh, like at halftime. <laughs> you know exactly it happened yeah. okay everybody out there i'm looking at the box score i have to say this yeah he's exactly right matt friedman is like an encyclopedia of this stuff i actually sometimes like i i wonder if you're sitting there like having pulled things up but you can't be as good at pulling things up as, as you would have to be for things like this no that one is just really stuck in my brain um i mean it, it sounds weird but like i i remember like where i was when i watched that that was the first super bowl i i watched with my wife who doesn't like super bowls but was willing to watch it with me like that <laughs> I, I don't know why but that one is just really stuck in my brain especially because i really like fitzgerald i really liked Kurt yeah. warner uh, i liked anquan bolden uh, i just i really wanted that team to win yeah i did too i love anquan bolden he's one of my favorite players of all time just so tough there was a game against Georgia uh, when he was at FSU, and hopefully it wasn't this podcast that I've talked about this before, but basically um, he was the best player on the Seminoles by far. Uh, Chris Ricks, who was the quarterback at the time, overslept. Uh, there were some extenuating circumstances there. He couldn't start. Their backup quarterback got hurt. And then like the, their other backup, I believe, got kicked off the team. So he then had to play quarterback against Georgia. And he played like the most admirable game ever with like no receivers to throw to. Uh, there was a couple of like big injuries. He basically had to do everything. And it was one of the more impressive performances that you've ever seen in like an absolute drubbing. I think the final was like 42 to 10 or 52 to 10 or something like that. But, um, it was just amazing to watch this poor guy have to go out there. And this was kind of in this, it, when things started to kind of fall off and Bowden wasn't the coach that he'd kind of been. And it yeah. didn't feel like the team was making the adjustments that they needed to. I think at the time, Jeff Bowden, who was probably one of the worst offensive coordinators of all time, who completely wasted Chris Ricks's talent, um, was coordinator. So it was just, it was a sight to see, but nonetheless, one of my favorite players of all time. Yeah. Bolden's great. I mean, he's, he's not a hall of famer, but, uh, he's a legend. You know what I mean? That like, I like yep. he played with a broken face at one point just right. so tough yeah absolutely um couple more quick ones that i'm going to highlight then we're going to move off of this of course you can go to the site and pull up the ayap 
a a y a app if anybody's interested in looking um adam thielen 9.15 then digs down at 7.51 so no real standouts for minnesota calvin ridley actually uh for atlanta and matt ryan overall puts up a pretty strong a y a uh ridley was at 10.12 julio at 10.7 it's new even at 9.77 so he was pretty strong um baker mayfield his leader was duke johnson uh, let me see if I can find it. Um, yeah, 7.94 to Duke in Joko at 7.91, Jarvis Landry at 6.49. No surprise. And the last one that I'll mention, Tariq Cohen with the strongest AYA in Chicago at nine. But I want to move off of that before we run out of time sorry, here. Sorry, just, just oh, a go, couple more. Go ahead. I had to say, yep. Uh, Matt Ryan, uh, really had a, a bounce back year in terms of, well, just like everything last year. Uh, obviously 2016 MVP in the league led the league with 10.1 adjusted yards per attempt. Uh, the pendulum really swung back the other way in 2017. Uh, you know, for him, a pretty inefficient season. Um, I thought his 2018 would kind of be in the middle, but, uh, he had 8.7 adjusted yards per attempt, uh, for the season. Uh, you know, I think like that's a top five or top six mark for the year. Uh, so he really rebounded. It will be interesting to see what he's able to do this year with, uh, a, a new or, you know, like new slash old offensive coordinator. Um, but you know, Calvin Ridley moving into his second season, Julio Jones still is someone, even if he's kind of now on the, the tail end of his prime as someone who is still very physically dominant. Uh, and then, uh, Another guy who's really interesting, uh, what Deshaun Watson has done in his two years, uh, when he's had Will Fuller and DeAndre Hopkins is really impressive. And mm-hmm. Will Fuller, I mean, obviously this number is very inflated by touchdowns, uh, but the 2017, 2018 number for Will Fuller, uh, on attempts from Deshaun Watson is 13.61. Like that is just such a high number. Um, and you have to think like that's not sustainable, but like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, it's, 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 it's not a two year sample because like it's very split. Uh, you know, we didn't have Watson for, for his entire rookie season. Uh, and then we didn't have Fuller for, uh, you know, a lot of Watson's second season. So it's just kind of hard to know if that number, uh, is sustainable, but like we should expect that number to still be really high moving forward. They certainly have a tremendous connection and. I mean, I know that we're working with a small sample, but when you see a quarterback wide receiver duo do things as impressive as as impressive as they have done, even if it does regress, and we've talked about this before, it's still going to be a very good result from them. And I think that Fuller, a lot of people don't appreciate just how good of a receiver he actually is. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's got the type of skill set to be able to have a really high number like that because he's just so fast. It's like Deshaun Jackson back in the day. So yeah, there's a lot that Fuller adds to that offense. Uh, and just a note too on Deshaun Jackson, he can still move because I think, um, if you look at the next gen stats on NFL.com, he recorded one of the highest mile per hour marks of the, uh, whole 2018 season. Matt Breda. Uh, actually led running almost nearly 23 miles per hour at one point. But I wanted to get your take on the Alliance of American football. Did you watch the games? Are you excited in the league? Do you have any, any takeaways? Um, I love this league. I say that uh, not having watched any of the games in real time, but I have kind of gone back through 
Uh, I haven't like systematically watched these games because that's just not the way I roll. I'm not going to spend that much time doing it. But I, I feel <laughs> as if like I've surveyed enough of the data and then enough of the tape um, just to kind of have a sense of of all of these different teams. Um, I am really glad that this league exists because I think that they are doing some innovative things uh, that if you know they go well, maybe the NFL would consider incorporating some of these things uh, into, into their game. Uh, but then also like, I just like the, I like the fact that football is still going. Um, I like the fact that, uh, you can bet on this, uh, man. I mean, it's like a league like this exists basically. So you can still bet against Christian Hackenberg. Um, so, uh, I love that. Um, I, I love that, uh, you have Mike Martz out there still doing Mike Martzy type of things, uh, and the same with Steve Spurrier. Uh, you know, so yeah, I just, I like, I love that this league exists and we can see some guys who, uh, maybe never got their full shot in the NFL get a shot here, uh, or we can see some retreads, uh, who, you know, we're good college players, uh, maybe even great college players. Uh, but for one reason or another, it just didn't work out in the NFL. Uh, but maybe, you know, it can work out here and they get a second shot at the NFL, you know? So it's, I'm really glad Ali like this exists. I, I think like the NFL hasn't had, a, um, I mean, like college is a decent pipeline for the NFL, but like the, the league hasn't had like a minor league or a G league type of system to kind of develop players. So I'm hoping that this is something that could serve in that way. So like you, I didn't actually watch the games as they were going. I've been going back and watching some of the condensed versions. Yeah. Um, or like, you know, caught like a full 15 minute stretch here and there. And I thought that it was really, really fun. Um, it's interesting to see the quarterback, the quarterback play is, uh, pretty poor. Oh, it's, it's Uh, bad. It's it's very bifurcated. You have these. You have teams that are throwing touchdowns and no interceptions. You have two teams like that. And then you have these other teams that are throwing like multiple interceptions and no touchdowns. You know, it's like, it's very bifurcated. Um, you immediately see that there are going to be a couple of teams in this league that are pretty good. Uh, and then a couple of teams that just have like absolutely no chance. Um, so yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun. I think to, to continue to see some of these players develop and, uh, to, to bet on it. Yeah, for sure. And, and like it really highlights just how hard it is to find a good quarterback because even, you know, in this configuration, you're like, really, they could not find better guys than this. You know, maybe they're out there. But the other thing I, I wanted to get your take on was how bad are the names, man? The names are awful. Uh, yeah, they feel like video game names. Oh my God. But yeah. The, the, that or like you let, like you let a group of like nine year old boys come up with the names. Yeah. Um, the one thing I would say is that, uh, and uh I don't remember his name on Twitter, but hat tip to whoever pointed this out to me on Twitter. The Arizona Hotshots. Um, the Hotshots are like a group of like firefighters, like elite firefighters, uh, who like fight obviously fires, but like they yep. like they go into like the center of the fire with like uh extra gear and all of this stuff. So like that's like the name Atlanta Hotshot, not Atlanta Hotshots, Arizona Hotshots is uh like an homage to them. So I think like that's cool. Like I like situations where uh there's something local uh that the the name is referring to and honoring. So like I think that's a cool name. Some of the other names aren't quite as good, but uh yeah, you know, it, it's pretty hit or miss with like minor league type of teams. Oh yeah, they're terrible. I also have to say I'm not super impressed with the logos that they came up with, with the typeface. I didn't really like the uniform. The uniforms are kind of what I was expecting. I was hoping we could get back to 
maybe like more of a throwback, like, you know, some of the classic college old type of uniforms, but they kind of did decide to go with that futuristic kind of new style. So I was disappointed on on those regards, but I'm just going to read off the names here. Atlanta Legends, meh. Birmingham Iron, meh. Memphis Express, come on. Orlando Apollos. Salt, State, uh, Salt Lake Stallions is probably the best. That's a good one. I have to say, I do like the Apollos, though. I the mean, Apollos. Yeah, you know, I just, I like that one. All right. San Antonio Commanders and the San Diego Fleet. But yeah, nonetheless, yeah. I think it's going to be a fun league. Um, I will say, though, the Atlanta Legends <laughs> logo is so bad. Well, it makes sense. That is a that is a really bad team. Oh, my God. Yeah. Awful logo. But yeah, to kind of to get back to your point, too. Um, the ah, shoot, I forget the I forget the names of them. But one of the games that I did watch, it was it was pretty ugly and like how slanted the talent was between the two squads. Yeah. Um, I mean, Trent Richardson is like, I mean, he's not the best running back, but he was one of the most productive running backs this year, uh, or sorry, this, this last week. Um, and he's probably going to continue to get the ball a lot. You know, he had, he led the the league with 23 carries. He had only 58 yards on 23 carries. Uh, but he, you know, he scored two touchdowns, but it's just, so it's, it's funny to see someone like Trent Richardson, uh, in this league. And then, uh, you know, like other guys who never really got a shot, uh, someone like Jarrell Presley. Um, so it, it's just, it's kind of cool seeing, seeing the different types of players who are in a league like this, like the guys who never got a shot. Uh, and then the guys who had a shot totally blew it and are just looking for something close to redemption. And the other really cool thing about this too, is you can stream all of the games, like the apps that they have. Um, you can watch everything and there's a lot of cool coverage of this too. And I actually, I will say, I do really like the website. It's easy to get the stats. So yeah, I think it's going to be a fun league. Maybe we'll talk about this a couple more times as things move along. Uh, there was one other thing I wanted to get to tonight, Matt, which is the Dallas Cowboys. Do you know off the top of your head who number 54 is? Uh, no, I don't. All right, let's look this up. Dallas Cowboys 54. I ask because my parents, um, a couple of weekends ago were at some like conference thing. Jalen Smith, does that ring a bell? Yeah. Okay. All right. So that, that's embarrassing. I was going to, yeah. I mean, now it's, it's pointless for me to be like, Oh, that sounds like Jalen Smith. But I was like, okay, I know that's a linebacker. Um, yep. and I, I thought that might be Jalen Smith, but I, I don't know if it actually is, but I think that is. We should, okay, so, we should just look this up here. Yeah. yeah that's Jalen Smith. It is Jalen Smith. Okay. Yeah. So my parents went to, um, they were at this big, like optometric conference and, uh, they took them to the Cowboy Stadium. They got to go on the field. They met Jalen Smith, got me assigned football and stuff like that. Um, but I bring this up to get to, I actually think of me what you will, people, but this is actually pretty funny. So they got to go on the field. There was like guys trying to kick field goals, I guess, doing pretty bad. And my parents know absolutely zero about football. So they sent some pictures. They got the ball. They said the guy was nice, but I guess there was one, uh, how should we put this heavy set optometrist who was on the field, started throwing some balls. And actually passed out from exertion. So he had to get carted off of the field at this uh, optometric conference. That's not the way to go. That's not the way to to live life. But uh, I mean, hopefully everything's fine with him. Yeah, so I, I guess he was fine, which is which is why I I think that it's kind of a humorous story. But what it really sets up for is this is not the first Dallas Cowboy that my mom has met at my brother's um, wedding, which was held in Connecticut. Uh, on the morning of the wedding, 
Everybody's getting ready. I go down to the lobby and I see my mom just talking to this huge dude in a fur coat. And I'm like, all right, like this is, this is kind of interesting. So like, I'm like, you know, at the, I don't know, I'm trying to achieve some objective at the, at the, the desk. And then I see her and the guy, they start walking away and I'm like, oh my God, that's Michael Irvin. I, okay. Damn it. I, because I was seriously going to say, please tell me that was Michael Irving. Because yes. if you say a cowboy in a fur coat, that is automatically where yes. my mind goes. Yeah, Michael Irving. Right. So I'm like, holy shit, mom. Like, do you know who you were just talking to? She's like, no, I don't, I don't know. It's like, that was Michael Irvin. And, you know, no register at all. So I should also say too, my mom is four eight. So like there was this huge, it was just like such a hilarious <sighs> oh, sight. Man. And she was like, Oh, what's his deal? I was like, well, he did a bunch of Coke uh, in the nineties, but he was <laughs> a really good football player. She's like, Oh, well, he was a nice guy. Uh, so that was just like a really interesting sight to see. Fast forward to the middle of the day after like the actual wedding had taken place. Irvin Jaworski, um, uh, Jackson and I think one other guy from ESPN they must have been recording something at ESPN right because we were in Connecticut which was close by so like my brother and uh, my sister-in-law they got a picture with all of them on stuff like that so it was it was just really uh like really random but yeah there's nothing quite as odd as seeing your mom just talking to Michael Irving you know not thinking anything of it and I was like did you like find the the outfit a little odd she was like yeah I had a feeling you know he was he was somebody of some importance. So anyways, that's my, that's my Dallas Cowboys story. Yeah. That's a pretty good story. I like it. Yes. All right. Um, well on that note, uh, we are out of time. Um, we will be back next week. I'm scrolling down to find the thing that we read when we go out. Uh, that's going to do it for today's episode. Once again, I'm Dave Cabin. You can follow me on Twitter at Dave Cabin FF. My co-host was Matthew Friedman, who you can follow at Matt F. The Oracle. This has been Rotoviz Radio. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, and be sure to tune in next week. And remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please rate, review, and contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio and support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the listener homepage at rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy Decoy by Duckhorn. Elevate your occasion. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.